Well, hello, it's uh, Michelangelo Caruso again with a Talk To Me podcast. We have a very unusual episode for you today, a very special guest. Before I introduce Jesper, I want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube, you can, of course, catch the audio version of all of these interviews on the Podbean and iTunes platforms, all of them, really. And if you're listening on Podbean or one of the audio podcast platforms, you can watch all of the videos on the Michelangelo Caruso YouTube channel. Be sure to click the red subscribe button and also that silver notification bell so that you're notified of new content. This is a very timely topic today, everybody, because my new friend, Jesper Linholt, is, um, he's a Ukraine refugee. He's actually got Danish background and we're gonna find out all about him in a minute. Um, but we are about two weeks into the Russian conflict, what some more accurately describe as a Russian invasion into the Ukraine. And uh, Jesper, I really appreciate you being with me. Uh, when everybody finds out what you're stopping, what you're not doing so that you can be with me, they're gonna be so impressed at your boots on the ground mentality. And I know that you have a, a long time commitment to the Ukraine. So you're quite serious about the situation. You're not somebody who's gonna desert, desert the scenario. First of all, um, where are you today, sir? Hi, Michael. Great to be with you. Um, today I am in, uh, in Denmark, my uh, native country, in, the, in our summer house. Uh, very temporary uh, accommodation for us. I understand you've spent some time in Poland recently. We uh, got across the border two weeks ago and spent a couple of days in uh, in Poland, I was hoping that uh, my uh, my guys in the company would be able to come over and we could sort of reestablish, regroup right. in Poland. But but uh, they closed the borders for eighteen to sixty year olds, and then uh, then decided then I decided just to go back back to Denmark. Uh, I have forgotten which day the conflict actually started. Just so people have a framework here, it's less than two weeks. What is it? 10, 12 days. It is. It is 14 days since it, they went into uh, the, uh, the, it was on the 24th of the morning that the first missiles hit. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting to me that, uh, oh, and I'm gonna check on your family. Everybody safe in your, in your immediate circle? Yes, we're all safe. We, uh, my, uh, my mother-in-law, we, we uh, moved from uh, Southern Ukraine to Kiev uh, uh, more than a month ago when we saw black clouds on the horizon and and so when when it really when when it turned bad it was really easy for us to head off yeah it's surprising to me how many people did not pay attention to those storm clouds coming for for weeks that we were hearing about russian troops amassing on the ukraine border everybody yawns no big deal the number keeps growing it grew to 100,000 troops that's a significant movement no world leader moves 100,000 people without intentions of actually doing something with those troops. But everybody was kind of just, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's Putin again exercising his, uh, you know, his uh, manliness, but he meant it this time. Um, before we knew it, they had the Ukraine, Ukraine uh, surrounded on three sides. Uh, and then two weeks ago, roughly to the day, um, the fireworks started. You have a business in Ukraine or had a business? What's the status of that? Well, I have a, I have a business of uh, 60 software developers. 
um, in Kiev and uh, in Lviv to the west of the country. Are they still there? Um, they are, I think about five got out. I have one guy who's uh, in, um, in Kharkiv, surrounded by, uh, by the Russians. And I have one guy in Kiev who couldn't leave because he had COVID and pneumonia. Um, and, and he is leaving today, I think, if he's not driving right now. He's getting out of the city and then driving to the to the west to Lviv. And you know, I saw a tweet uh, early on when the soldiers were amassing at the border, the Russian soldiers, and the joke was, "I'll bet they're not socially distanced," because <laughs> Russia's having a bear of a time with COVID as well. Mm-hmm. So on top of everything else, there's the COVID concern that if you're sick uh, and you should be quarantining, how do you? How do you gather by how do you gather with other people in hiding if you're supposed to be <laughs> isolating? Yes. I mean, it's just a bizarre situation. Yes, yeah. Well, we had a, a, a huge peak uh, just about a month ago where, uh, where infections grew exponentially to a very, very high level. And, uh, and I think that it just ripped through the population, the Omicron, and, uh, and it's all over now. Now we have people hiding out in, uh, in underground metro stations and stuff. Okay. But, uh, but COVID disappeared from the radar. It just like fog in the morning, the sun. Thank just, goodness. Yeah. That, would have been like a, that would have been like double jeopardy. Yeah. So let's go back to your employees that are, that are stuck in Russia, are, you, are stuck in Ukraine. Are you still communicating with them? Are you able we to? Have- we have uh, uh, social media or, or chat forums where we talk to each other. We have shared. We have for each. We have separate teams where we talk to each other. Okay. We uh, uh, so so we're in talk with everybody. On well, everybody has some kind of contact every every day. Most of them are working. We're probably at eighty uh, percent um, uh, capacity delivering. Although people are, we have one group. We have a small community up in the mountains of maybe ten employees and their families. Okay. At, a, at, a, at a next to a ski resort so so we, we tried to when things got hot we tried to uh, guide them to the mountains because that's the safest the safest yeah. place yeah uh, i know that most of the adult population has been conscripted into service in ukraine your people are are, are they are the ukraine um, are they from the ukraine are they uh, foreigners from other countries what's the story there we have um uh, they're all Ukrainians, and I'm the Dane, the Dane, the odd one out. And I, ha- I have one, a girl who's Russian, who uh, was scared incredibly. She's been in Ukraine for also 10, 15 years, but she was married to, to a Ukrainian and all local, but she was scared. So, so she, she, uh, she got out a couple of days ago to Poland. Yeah. It's just almost impossible to think about all of the combinations of circumstances here. I was reading about how over a million people have now left Ukraine and about a fifth of them have actually gone back to Russia or gone to Russia, I should say. And I never even thought of that, that because I thought everybody would naturally be leaving to go to Poland, but mm-hmm. people have reasons for going back to Russia. Um, I would be surprised if 200,000 people would have gone to Russia because they would need to cross an active war zone to do that. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't, they, wouldn't they have surrendered and uh, and said, uh, "We're not. I don't want to fight. I want to. I see. I see the light, Mr. Putin. I want to come back to you." Or, wouldn't there be some people like that? Yeah, but but the uh, no cities have been taken except for Kherson, 
it's the only city that has been taken by by the Russians. Everything yes. else is just land territory yes. and and uh, and and torched ground. And uh, and to cross that line, cross the line of fire, active fire, to get into Russia, I would be surprised. Yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Jesper. Your lighting is changing quite a bit. Can you get some more light on your face? Clearly enough, more. or no? Yeah, I can do that. One second. I don't know if it's getting cloudy or the clouds. The sun, are the sun is moving, or I can turn like this. I have lots of sun. I'll turn around. A bit better. Yeah, one second. Okay. Bye -bye. I know that this people want to be able to see your face and, and yeah. there we you have go. a guest in the home, I see. Yeah, that was my daughter. Uh -huh. I'm so glad you guys are safe. Um, so uh, we're back now to this, uh, this uh, such an unusual situation. You have been actually helping deliver, at least Tom Brown told me this, our, the, the friend that kind of got us together today, also yeah. a Rotarian. That you had been delivering night scopes and um, and other types of supplies to the border. Yeah, well, the uh, the war started eight years ago, and, and there's been uh, occupation of, of Ukraine by the Russians for eight years, and uh, and uh, for three years, um, uh, I with family and friends were helping out in buying cars and delivering them to Ukraine for use as ambulances in uh, in red zone off off road after when the asphalt stops and then to where somebody is, uh, is hurt. And it's uh, over the, it, it became, it was more than 50 cars that we brought over. I saw the, you have a Facebook group to kind of yeah. communication going. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, uh, and so it's like uh, every five miles on the, on the front line, there would be a car that we delivered. So, uh, so I think we save a lot of lives on, on that account. Yeah. And it was sort of tricky for some people because, are we helping the army or are we helping? Yeah, well, we're not hurting anybody. That's for sure. And, and we are putting our efforts on, on into, into what we believe is right. Yeah. And changing things, with, but tipping the scales a little bit towards what we think is, is right. I so, uh, mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, go ahead. Yeah, so after I got back um, a little more than a week ago, week and a half ago, then, uh, uh, I was sitting there, got to do something, got to do something, got to do something, got to do something. And, uh, and actually, on the, on the, in the car going back, uh, a buddy of mine writes and says, I'm in uh, Prague. I'm buying two-way radios for uh, um, territorial defense, which is a newly created uh, uh, local defense force. And we don't have radios. Can you find a thousand euro, which is like $1,200, and help us pay this? Okay, I post on Facebook. And I'm driving up through Poland and, and I don't see anything. And then the, the phone starts going ding, 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 ding. And so I pull over another 30 minutes later and we have around $10,000. Okay. Uh, because people were just so excited and so engaged in what is happening. And, and so uh, we went and bought uh, three, three cars, one off-road, two vans, um, and filled it with uh, uh, military clothes and uh, and stuff that was collected, sleeping bags, all kinds of stuff for, for these guys. And uh, and as we're driving, I get get a call from uh, other friends from back in the ambulance days and says, 
there's a shipment coming from Lithuania. Can you give them a call? And I call Lithuania and there's some guys with 36 night scopes. So we meet at a gas station north of Warsaw and I get the 36 night scopes, which is just uh, unbelievably valuable to, uh, to people in, in the field. Yeah. On top of that, um, my guys in the company had put money together and bought another night scope, which we thought was great. But then when we had 37 of them, then it's like, Amazing. The, the logistics and the uh, there was a term invented a long time ago called guerrilla warfare, which describes less than organized, less than funded armies doing their best. Um, in fact, the Revolutionary War, I don't know how much you know about American history, but uh, George Washington was totally undermanned against Britain, uh, England at the time. And uh, and he won through a concept called Fabian, F-A-B-I-A-N, the Fabian strategy, which was you just keep it alive until the other guy gets tired and goes home. And it's come to my mind a couple of times now that that's kind of what we're waiting for here because the, the Russian army is much better equipped and much better funded than the Ukraine army, yes? Oh yes, very much. But they're, they're going nowhere right now. And it's such a surprise that two weeks into uh, their head-on full invasion with supposedly dom complete dominance of airspace that they've managed to take one single harbor city. Right? Yeah. That the capital is standing, second largest city standing, everywhere is standing. I, I want to get to uh, I want to get to what's happening strategically and also Putin's endgame here in just a second. You mentioned that only one city has fallen. How do you know a city has fallen? Is there is there an announcement? Does the does the mayor of the city wave a white flag? How does that work? Well, there's a uh, there's a constant flow of information, and, and, and Twitter is the uh, is, is the newspaper of the day yes. because things change so uh, so rapidly, and uh, and sometimes you don't even know if a city has fallen or not. But you have to look at the announcements coming out from from the city, as as you, as you said, and then and what uh, and what. Uh, um, uh, the military says, which which will never be the truth, the full truth at least. But uh, yeah, I have trouble with the truth on Twitter in general, anyway. But imagine the propaganda. Imagine a Russian bad actor saying such and such city has fallen, and it really hasn't. And then the people in the city read that their city's fallen, and then they assume that all is lost, and then they come out with their hands up. Uh, there's all kinds, this is an electronic war in some ways. That's why it was so important to keep, to keep the internet happening in Ukraine so that everybody could communicate. We could actually hear from you guys. Yeah, it's very surprising to me actually that, that all communications are still on, that mobile networks are running, yeah. uh, so mobile internet and, and, and land-based internet is running. But, but, but probably the, the truth and open communications is more important and valuable to the Ukrainian side than to the Russian side. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's talk about the truth. Let's talk about the end game here. Everybody that I know, every sensible person scratching their head, wondering what Putin's end game can be, because even if he succeeds in taking Ukraine, he'll be a pariah. Russian economy will be uh, ostracized uh, and cut off from the rest of the world. What? What is this about? Could it just be about ego? Is he, has he lost his mind? What is your view of what's really happening here? What's the truth? I think he is in over his head. 
I think he was expecting to take Kiev in two days uh, with a uh, blitzkrieg that would uh, that would break the uh, the morale of the Ukrainian people. And instead, he uh, he suffers logistical problems of all kinds. He has this this long line of uh, tanks up north that is moving nowhere for several days. His uh, planes get shot down because the Ukrainians actually have uh, good good uh, shoulder weapons for for shooting down planes. His helicopters get shot. People get killed. They run out of fuel. There are stories of uh, of people jumping out of a uh, a tank and asking uh, if you if somebody would give them food and they would give them gasoline or diesel and so all kinds of crazy stories that that indicate that that they would, they would just not prepare for this and, yeah uh, which, is, which is stunning because again all that trouble to move a hundred thousand alleged troops but it doesn't seem like they have any training any strategy any supply chain all the stuff that the stuff that you would expect from an organized army no um, organized mobster. What do you say? I said an organized mobster. Organized mobster. Mobster. It's it's that kind is, of smacks of that, that doesn't it? Is. Yeah. For I our friends that don't uh, aren't up on their German, Blitzkrieg is an old term that I think comes from World War II. It was uh, designed to describe this kind of a full scale. Uh, in basketball, they call it a full court press. Everybody's coming at you at the same time. They use it in football once in a while when they're blitzing, blitzing a quarterback. But it turned out to be like a half a blitzkrieg or something. I don't know, a hologram of a blitzkrieg. They're coming in, but they just—they seem so impotent. Um, there's much, much has been made about the killing of innocent women and children. There was a—it um, would be laughable if it wasn't such a serious scenario. The headline uh, on, on a website recently of a mainstream uh, mainstream platform. Um, do the Russians not care, or are they actually that bad at aiming? <laughs> what do you think? I think, uh, well, first, I think Putin got, in, got into this mess by a series of steps that he had not totally foreseen. He started putting the 100 and X thousand people around Ukraine, yeah. um, uh, hoping to force the hand of the president or NATO to give... Um, uh, to, to give promises that Ukraine would never leave NATO and to demilitarize the country, that didn't work. Well, if that didn't work, then if his bluff was called, well, he couldn't let that happen. So he had to take the next step. Okay, then, then he went and invaded and he hoped that then it would be a two-day thing. Well, it turned out it's a 12-day thing and he hasn't achieved any of his strategic, even tactical objectives. And now what, what do you have to do? And I would just be afraid of... of tactical nukes being the next step that he would sort of be forced to uh, to take. Yeah. And, and another interesting thing that's happened that's never happened before is, is this uh, blitzkrieg of sanctions that's been put upon Russia. The Russian people, a lot of them, are unhappy with their own leader now because they're being inconvenienced. What might not have been that great of a life in the first place uh, under you know, in a communist country is even worse now than it ever was. All the companies are shutting down, denying, what do they call that online? Denial of service, DOS. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, and thousands are taking to the street. Um, uh, they can't possibly arrest all of the people that are protesting. Now he's got a problem domestically as, a well, as well as, and he's extremely weak 
should somebody decide to make a move against him, I read that 90% of his armed forces are focused on Ukraine. Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, and, and they're all inside Ukraine now. It was I mean, just, if this was a chess game, man, you'd be a rank amateur. Yes. I mean, most, I don't know if you know how to play Euchre, but usually you get Euchred by other people. You don't Euchre yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, what are your views on some of the, uh, some of the, some of the chatter about NATO and, and the lack of military support for Ukraine? Do, do people over there understand it? Are they bitter? Um, objectively, there's a, uh, there's a, like a, a continuous convoy of smart weapons going into Ukraine right now. And, and Ukraine would not have been able to defend itself as it has without the, uh, the javelins and the, uh, the uh, British-Swedish equivalents and the Stinger missiles. So they're making a huge difference, just absolutely changing the game. But it's not the same as air support. It's not the same as another army weighing in. Absolutely not, no. And, uh, and, uh, and the Ukrainians have focused, focused right now very strongly on, on closing the sky. And there's, you, you do like this, you put your hand over, that's the symbol for, uh, for air protection that, that people use in demonstrations and stuff. And, uh, and people are, uh, are very, uh, they're very focused. So it's, it is the big thing for Ukraine right now. And I think it's maybe overdone a bit because in, in reality, they have had uh, fairly good control of the skies, but we haven't seen a fraction of the hardware that the Russians have in the sky. No, they, to, the Russian air attack has been almost minimal, right? Yes, yeah. Why is so, that? Why is that? I think he was, uh, again, he was surprised you thought he could do this in a surgical way? Yeah, but that's another card that he could play before uh, tactical nuclear before, options. Before he could fly some yes. airplanes over and just end it pretty quickly. Yes, but uh, but he he would be afraid. Of, he would be afraid of Stinger missiles, and also it could be changing perhaps the 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 whole uh, uh, the dynamics of how NATO feels about this. But on the other hand. This, is, this would be what happened in Syria. So when NATO didn't do anything. Yeah. The best Ukrainians could hope for would be a, a safe zone in the West where, where it could be patrolled by, uh, by NATO planes flying in Poland mm -hmm. and then go maybe 100 miles into uh, Ukraine. And that would be a humanitarian safe zone. Much has been made about what happened in Syria and the parallels, why do you suppose that the outreach and the, and the attention and the care and the passion has occurred this time around for the people of Ukraine and it didn't happen for the people of Syria? Um, well, men, most members of NATO are European countries. So it happens in our front yard. Okay, and and, rather than the backyard or the yes, neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. No, this is uh, this is right in front of us, and it's a country that has, over the last uh, eight nine years, um, by by many times multiplied its uh, economic relations, social relations, cultural relations into the uh, European Union. There's visa free travel for five years, and Ukrainians have traveled all over Europe, and and so yeah. so it's one of us. It's a neighbor. A neighbor is getting attacked. I think it's worth mentioning that that. 
Ukraine was actually on its way to being a, a member of NATO. Uh, I heard it described that they were a partner, but not yet a member. Whereas, and I don't know where Syria stood in, the, in that ranking, but you know, relationships take time to build. Um, and uh, I do think Ukraine was on a, on a better path, a faster path to that type of relationship for what it's worth. Yeah, I think uh, it, was, it was going the right direction, not as fast as we were hoping for internally, but, but every, every month, things were in general a little bit better. Let's go back to the signaling. You mentioned that this was a hand signal that meant uh, we're looking for air support. Is that what that meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I read, with, it was actually reported with some humor, that Ukraines have had, uh, they've been rather good spirited about this whole thing, all things considered. Uh, I read that some Ukraine, Ukrainians had, had found time to write graffiti on unexploded missiles that had, uh, and they were writing signs like F off to, uh, to the Russians that were yeah. around yeah. the road, you know, as people were yeah. coming in. It, it, it took about a week for the Ukrainians to mobilize their humor. Uh, because of the shock, but uh, but it, it's coming, it's full force right now. And it's everywhere. Most, people, most people don't think of Ukrainians as terribly funny people. You probably know that. Uh, but uh, but they have really, really deep humor. They, uh, one of the, the, the slogan of the, uh, of, of the defense comes from, uh, there's an island called Snake Island off of Romania in the Black Sea yeah. that very early was attacked by a, a Russian uh, um, uh, warship. And, the, and they radioed, to 13 guys on this island and said that uh, we are Russian, Russian uh, naval ship, surrender. And they, their answer was Russian, Russian, no, in, in Russian it's Ruski uh, Karabr, and it, it means uh, something like uh, Russian warship, Koda. Just fantastic. So, yeah. so it's, uh, and it was all recorded. Uh, by, oh, wow. By, yeah, so it's uh, it, that that sentence is now the uh, the one of the slogans of the war. Speaking of humor, uh, President Zelensky, who is a former entertainer, a comic, um, he got in the hot box with President Trump over here be well before the war started because there was this uh, tense phone call about uh, the president and Ukraine and Russia. We don't get to get into that now. But Zelensky was viewed by many as kind of a, I don't know, a celebrity cum politician who didn't really have what it took. He just kind of stepped into a vacuum and got lucky. What are your views of President Zelensky? He's, he's really shown well in this moment, this, this key moment with the, with the conflict. He is rocking and rolling for this. He is perfectly casted for this role. Do you know him? Have you met him? No. Yeah. But uh, but he's perfect for he he uh, he did not expect getting elected, so that was a bummer, right? I mean he he's he's a uh, uh, he's an actor who uh, who saw oh somebody uh, my job is up. He he played the role of a president in a in a in a in a show, and then oh, oh my job is up, and then he, he and he he runs like a school teacher who becomes the president, and oh. then oh this is too much of a temptation, I have to run, and then everybody were looking at him as the, the blank sheet of paper that he was. And then they put all of their hopes and wishes onto that blank sheet. And then when he, when he won with 70 some percent, then now what? Be careful what you wish for. And, uh, and uh, 
Who did and he run against? He ran against uh, Parashenko, which was the, the former, uh, the, the chocolate baron uh, oligarch. Another celebrity. Yeah, and uh, and 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 who had who had been who had been more of a statesman, and who had been uh, with the troops in in the in the east on by the contact line and in the uh, occupied areas, and was working hard to uh, integrate with Europe, and he he built a party called uh, European Solidarity. So the statesman up against the 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 young the young uh, hooligan. It's interesting to, to, to think back. What if the what if the chocolatier had won the election and he was in charge now? How would how might things be different? How would it have rewritten history? Would we be exactly where we are today? Yes. Uh, yeah. Back to back to signaling for a second. Um, I've said that during COVID, you know, everybody became an expert on everything. It partly due to the information age and all that stuff, but everybody's got access to the same information. We all became doctors. We all became political scientists. We all became um, uh, experts at everything during COVID. Um, we, we were talking about um, signals and how important they are. And um, I'm, I'm just wondering, what's the, are we getting the right signal from the Ukrainian people that we're in this for the long haul and, and um, we're determined. I mean, that this is this seems legitimate. This is coming from the heart. These people that have never done anything like this, they really believe in themselves. Very much, very much. This comes from this comes from the heart. And 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 in if there's one feeling that is characterizing Ukraine after the initial shock of their brother people, I mean their cousins at least, yeah. of their brother people attacking them with missiles, it is uh, it is uh, hatred to the people doing this to them, right? It's uh, civilians getting killed and, and, and the hatred is so thick, you could almost cut it in slices. And, and it's what can we feed, can feed the soul in productive ways. If you, if you believe you're, you know, you're righteous and you're doing, you're fighting for the good, the good cause. Um, as everybody becomes an expert, we kind of delude ourselves into thinking that, that no one can pull one over on us. And yet the phrase, the Ukraine, did exactly that. That, the origin of that phrase is from Russia and it's pejorative, correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Russia it, said the Ukraine as if they were castaways or not as good as us. Tell us about this. Yeah, as part of the Soviet Union, then it refers to the, the, uh, the Socialist Republic of Ukraine, the U Ukraine. But but it goes further back than that to uh, imperial imperial Russia, that which which viewed and used uh, Belarus to the north uh, uh, as the White Russia, and then uh, uh, Ukraine is the Malarasia, the small Russia, and then we have proper Russia, and those three together form the Russian Empire, and and that and this is the real the fundamental. Thing that uh, that the Russians are going after that we cannot be an empire if we don't have little Russia as part of us. Right. So it's it's a, a threat to the to the ambitions that Putin also holds in his heart. Right. And and my point was that that what had happened because Russia had said the Ukraine so many times that so many Americans started to say the Ukraine, which I know is a pet peeve of yours, because they because we were deluded, we were tricked. 
We weren't paying attention to what was really happening. The Ukraine is a pejorative term and we were using it even though we had no dog in the hunt at the time because Russia, it was kind of like this propaganda that had kind of taken root in our heads and we didn't even know it. This is the danger of communication and not listening to people that know what, really know what's going on versus listening to bad actors and people that have negative uh, and, and nefarious agendas. Yeah, that's why we need you, Michael. <laughs> and you, sir, I'm so glad that we had some time to be together today. Um, are you still a member of Rotary? What's happening with that? Or were you ever? Uh, I have been a member tin, since 2006. I was a Rotary exchange student in 1984. Where, did you, where was your exchange to? I went to Redlands, California. Well, not a bad location. No, no. Dry, nice and warm. I came into Rotary through the group study exchange a program, which is now called VTT. But I was in South Africa, uh, specifically Johannesburg, for five weeks back in 1995. And it was a fantastic way to see the world because at the time, South Africa was its own pariah. I guess South Africa was the pariah in the way that Russia is now. I shouldn't say that. Not in the way that Russia is now. But South Africa had its issues back in 1995. Well, listen, I look forward to meeting up with you and having a, a cup of coffee or a drink sometime after this is all over. I doubt that we'll actually laugh about this time, but I hope that we can celebrate it, sir. I am looking so much forward to the end of this, as we all are. Where can people find out more about your company? And, and is there another website that you want to give us uh, for anybody that wants to send aid? Um, well, my company is uh, Levatech. And we work with uh, uh, companies that build software across the world. We relieve bottlenecks of finding uh, uh, talent. So Levatech, L-I-V-A-T-E-K.com. And, uh, and if you want to know how to help, well, you're welcome to hook up with me on, uh, on Facebook. And uh, you can see my name in the, uh, in the text for this uh, podcast. Okay, great. And I know that Rotary.org has now set up official channels to get aid to Ukraine. And you can donate in many ways, money, uh, goods. You can partner with uh, various Rotary partners like the Red Cross. There's all kinds of ways to, to give and send help. Jesper, it's been a pleasure being with you. I'm sorry it's been under a, a bit of a negative circumstance, but you, are, you seem like such a great person. And I'm just so glad to meet you. And I want to thank you on behalf of anyone who cares about Ukraine for all that you've done for the country. Michael, it was great hanging out with you today. Hope to meet you again. Looking forward. Thank you, sir.